Welcome in to the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bread. I go by SEC Michael Twitter. And man, we got a great show lined up for you folks. We've got Kelly Ford, first time on the show, does college football schedule ratings and rankings there for kfordratings.com. This is, uh, you know, it's not often that we have an interview that uh, goes so thoroughly on all 14 SEC teams. But Kelly, he's the man. Really appreciated this conversation, a long one. So it's going to be the whole show talking SEC football. Again, I think you guys are really going to appreciate this. I keep trying to find unique insights into the SEC. And and Kelly, who's uh, associate commissioner of the Horizon League, uh, you know, he's put in a lot of research and effort into his model and everything like that. We kind of teased it last week. And again, this was just a fabulous conversation that uh, I think you guys are really going to appreciate it. So let's kick it over to my man, Kelly Ford. All right, we're pleased to be joined for the first time by Kelly Ford, a guy I just found a couple weeks ago, does outstanding work at K Ford Rankings, and he's a host of We Hate Your Team podcast. I can't tell you, Kelly, how many fans think I hate their team. And he's an assistant commissioner of the Horizon League. I mean, this is one of the most accomplished people we've ever had on the show. So, Kelly, I cannot thank you enough. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, Mike. No, I appreciate it. It's a pleasure to be on. Thanks for having me. Um, I, yeah, everyone hates – everyone thinks I hate their team too. That's the reason <laughs> that my buddy uh, Zach and I started the podcast and we wanted to name it something funny, We Hate Your Team, because – when you work in predictive analytics like I do, um, everyone seems to think that you hate their team. Whether you do or you don't, that's the feeling. So we thought we'd just roll with it, have a little fun. I do want to just say, too, Mike, one uh, clarification to find me on Twitter. Uh, K Ford ratings, not ratings. K Ford rankings. Sorry. And we're going to get into difference between ratings and rankings because it might seem like that's uh, not a big deal. But I promise as you start to have those different debates with folks, whether you're talking about ratings or rankings uh, can, be a, can make a big difference. So absolutely. Okay, and in, in the show notes, like I always do, you can find a link to Kelly's Twitter, K Ford Ratings. Sorry, I screwed that up, but I, can you give us a little background just uh, before we get rolling on the SEC, just, uh, you know, why you went about doing this stuff? I mean, uh, I'm relatively new to the analytics, but I, for years I've, I've been having people on, and um, I just love the unique perspective because to me, it's you guys are, are digging deep into the data. And you're just sharing what the data's telling you. And to me, that's that's kind of the most unbiased way we can view college football. Doesn't mean it's going to be right every time, certainly. But I think it is very, very valuable information that uh, maybe a lot of these fans uh, don't have at, at the current time. Yeah, no, absolutely. So um, kind of like you, I mean, at my core, Mike, I'm just a massive college football fan. Um, I do have a knack for numbers and growing up, a uh, big fan of Bill Connolly, who produces the SP Plus ratings, and then also Brian Fromo, who does, uh, who has his FEI uh, numbers. So um, after a while of, of watching those guys and seeing all the things that they put into it, I thought, you know, I, I should try to create my own uh, predictive power rating. So that's what I did. Um, I really have two primary areas of interest and specialization within college football. Um, so as we've talked about, I am the creator of the K Ford ratings, which are my power ratings. 
And then I use those ratings to generate resume rankings, which I call my most deserving rankings. So again, like we just talked about a little earlier, ratings and rankings, two very different concepts, but both are extremely useful when describing college football teams. Uh, and I have a lot of fun talking about both. So I uh, got into it just because I was interested, uh, joined Twitter and uh, have gotten to know some folks through that space as well. And it's been it's been a fun last couple of years and I'm looking forward to kind of keeping it going here into 2022 and beyond. Well, Kelly, uh, the first thing that really caught my attention from your work, again, really outstanding stuff, your realistic expectations for 2022. And I mean, you, you broke this down, not just the SEC, you did all of college football. So, you know, this is not SEC bias or anything like that. This is just what your model says. And if I'm interpreting this data correctly, maybe you can you can correct me if I'm wrong here. But of course, you got Georgia and Alabama at the top. And uh, based on your metrics here, I mean, 10 wins looks to be a lock for those two teams, but only 72% for Georgia to, to reach 11 and 33% chance to get that 12th win. Uh, can you kind of explain these, uh, your, your model and these numbers a little bit more for me? Yeah, absolutely. So um, you captured it accurately, I should, I'll should i say first. So these realistic expectations for 2022 that I put out, as you referenced, for the SEC and really for all of uh, FBS college football, these are the result of my preliminary um, K Ford ratings, the power ratings for this upcoming 2022 year. So they're not finalized by any means, but um, had a good start on them here this, this summer, and we'll work to finalize them as we get closer to the season in August. But yeah, that's exactly what it is. So by using my power ratings, I'm able to then assign win probabilities for every single game on every single FBS team's schedule. And then for games of FBS versus FCS teams, since I don't produce FCS power ratings, I assume a 100% win probability for those games for the FBS team. We know that's not actually the case. So when Alabama plays an FCS team, it's pretty close to 100%. When Kansas plays an FCS team, it may not be as close to 100%, but I make that assumption um, for my realistic expectations and expected win totals for the year. Uh, so that's kind of how it's built. But then to your point, yes, that graphic that uh, you showed on the, on the show last week and that I put out on Twitter for Georgia, there's a 33% chance that the Bulldogs will go undefeated through the regular season per my preliminary numbers. Um, and then going down from there, there's a... Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, there's a 72% that they'll win at least 11 games, a 93% chance that they'll win at least 10. So you could say, all right, Kelly, I see a 68% chance that Alabama wins at least 11 games. So you're saying, um, or sorry, there's a 29% chance that they'll win all 12 games. So you're saying there's a 71% chance that they're going to lose a game. That is what my numbers say. Now, if we actually go to their schedule and go down the list of opponents, Alabama's favored in every single game. They're actually favored by more than two touchdowns in every game. Uh, looking at it right now, the closest game that I have Alabama projected to be in is actually in week two when they go to Texas. I've got uh, Alabama as an 80% chance to win that game. They're favored by about 15 points in my model. Um, it would be more than that, of course, if they weren't going on the road. We've got the home field advantage for Texas baked into that as well. So I'm not pinpointing the game that I think Alabama will drop or that Georgia will lose. Uh, I'm just saying that the cumulative uh, probabilities of each individual game lead you to believe that there is a realistic chance that Georgia and Alabama will lose at least one. And of course, that thinking and rationale uh, permeates all the way down the list uh, of all the SEC teams. Now, if there's one game on Georgia's uh, schedule that they could possibly trip up based on your analytics, 
Now, you got to remember, Kelly, I'm the idiot that went on Paul Feinbaum and said South Carolina is going to pull that upset. So I, I would imagine your metrics do not have South Carolina winning that football game. But if there is, you know, I try to give hope to the rest of the, the conference here. Who Who's most likely, per your model, to knock off the Bulldogs? Yeah, absolutely. That is that's a bold prediction. I'll say uh, my my numbers my numbers give South Carolina about a nine percent chance to win. Um, so you're telling home. me there's a chance? Okay, that's, that's exactly right. Yeah, my, my numbers have it about. 19 and a half points is my projected spread for that game, uh, Georgia being favored. So if we're looking at the team or teams that are most likely to get that win against Georgia, um, it's going to be one that I know some folks took some issue with the list that I put out. I've actually got Kentucky as the most likely team to beat Georgia. Again, I'm not saying that I think that's going to happen, but my numbers give Georgia only, and I say that kind of in quotes, only an 81% chance to win on the road at Kentucky. Other games in the 80% um, that Georgia has an expected win probability, 82% at Mississippi State, uh, 88% home to Tennessee, 87% uh, neutral uh, down there in Jacksonville against Florida, 88% at home against Auburn, and then 87% to open the season in that neutral site game. If you want to call it neutral site, I mean, I am from a classification standpoint. I do expect there's going to be quite a few Georgia fans in the building. But when uh, when Georgia takes on Oregon uh, and Dan Lanning, which will make it all the more interesting, 87% win probability there for Georgia. So they've got about five or six games in the 80s. But again, you're that's saying four out of five times Georgia's expected to win that game. Um, they're going to be heavy favorites in just about every game they play this year, uh, according to my numbers. Now you got Kentucky third on the realistic expectations. And, and I know you, you called attention to that on Twitter, that not necessarily saying that Kentucky is the third best team in the SEC, according to your model, but just the, the combination of, of their team and the schedule they face. Uh, you get any blowback because, hey, those fans in Lexington, man, they're, they're riding cl- cloud nine right now. They think, just like you, they have a, a shot, a realistic shot, hopefully, of knocking off Georgia in Lexington late in the season. Uh, how surprised were you that uh, Kentucky third on, on your realistic expectations? Yeah, so that is, um, and I know you talked about it briefly on a prior show, and folks have definitely been in my mentions about that one on Twitter, <laughs> um, as you can imagine. It was somewhat surprising to me as well. I mean, I'll be honest uh, to see Kentucky come out third there on the expected wins um, for the the SEC here in 2022. It's important to note Kentucky had an expected win total of 8.0 games and then literally right behind them, Ole Miss, Texas A&M, both 7.9, Tennessee 7.8, Florida 7.2, Auburn 7.1. So you've got one, two, three, four, five different teams uh, so, sorry, six different teams, all five, all within, I mean, one game, expected game of Kentucky. And I also want to note that is for the overall regular season. So that's SEC conference games and the non-conference games. Um, so, But it was surprising to me because as you just noted, um, and as I put in my post, I've got Kentucky expected to be the seventh best team, according to my preliminary uh, K-Ford numbers in the SEC this year. They fall behind Alabama, Georgia, of course. Uh, Oklahoma and Texas, if they were in the SEC, would be um, would be ahead of of uh, Kentucky in my numbers. Texas A&M, Auburn, Tennessee, Ole Miss, all of those teams I have power rated better than Kentucky. But because of how the the schedule sets up, that's how Kentucky gets to that expected wins. Um, and then the final thing I'll say is because what I put out there and, and what you uh, referenced earlier that eight. 0.0 win to expected win total for the regular season that's conference and non-conference i broke it down a little bit further and added to that post later on with the conference projection 
Um, and Kentucky did still come out number two in the East. They actually, I mean, essentially tied with Tennessee, both with 4.4 expected conference wins, well behind Georgia's expected conference wins of 7.1 in the East. And then Florida was right there as well at 4.3. So you've got Kentucky, Tennessee, and Florida all right around uh, four expected conference wins this year. So it'll be interesting. Um, wouldn't be surprised if Kentucky finished second in the East. Wouldn't be surprised if they finished fourth. If they were lower than that, um, I'd, I'd be mildly surprised. But I expect it's going to be a good year for uh, the folks down there in Lexington. Yeah, and I think that's the key takeaway there, Kelly. I mean, you're not saying that Tennessee and Florida have no shot of being that second place East team, right? I mean, you know, I, I can't imagine your model could take into consideration Let's say Anthony Richardson, you know, is the big breakout star in the SEC. I would imagine that's going to jump Florida up, but there's just no way to tell if that's actually going to happen. So you do got Tennessee right there with, uh, it looks like 84% model of winning at least seven games. Florida right there, similarly, 88% chance of winning at least six. So, and like, like you said, you got Kentucky, your model at eight. So the separation is very, very minimal when you're talking that next tier in the East, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if, if I just, and if I look at the schedule too for these teams, so I'll go down Kentucky's schedule in particular against those teams that we just mentioned. I mean, I've got it expected to be, I, my numbers expect Kentucky to lose at Florida, 46% win probability. So it's, it's a toss up, but my numbers would have Florida favored by about a point and a half at home uh and then the game at tennessee again 40 percent win probability for kentucky um i got tennessee favored by about three and a half points right now again tennessee being at home in that game so we're talking about toss-ups here games that are decided by a field goal or less or projected to be uh decided by a field goal or less and then you you mentioned richardson other breakout players that can that can uh pop up throughout the season i try to account for that the best i can in the preseason with returning production but yeah, if a player ends up having a breakout year and performs much better than he has in previous seasons, that's not necessarily necessarily going to be accounted for. So teams can always surprise me, uh, both good and bad, I'll say. But typically, um, my numbers do have a, a decent gauge on the, the overall strength of an individual team coming into the season. So yeah, in the East, I think absolutely it's going to be Georgia's to lose. And then as you go over to the wet, or uh, as you come down below them, Kentucky, Tennessee, Florida, all right there in that mix. And I saw this, Kelly. I don't know if you did. I Hopefully you got your your mute down there from Columbia, South Carolina, because my word, 5.9 projected win total, but uh, you're giving them 85%, your model says, of winning at least five, 60% of winning six games. You know, we're living in a wild times in college football with all these transfers, obviously Spencer Rat Rattler headlines that group. Uh, how, how do you factor in uh, with your model, all these transfers, again, is it, does it kind of look at how they produced at their previous school uh, as compared to, to maybe what South Carolina had last season? How do you go about doing that? Yeah, absolutely. And um, just real quick on South Carolina, definitely got some engagement from that South Carolina <laughs> fan base, so much so that, uh, and I'm looking at it here, Mark Ryan, who's an assistant program director down there on radio um, in South Carolina, has reached out. I'll, I'll be doing a radio hit in South Carolina at some point later this week to talk a little bit more about the Gamecocks. So that'll be really exciting. Um, <laughs> but they, they definitely have an expectation, I guess, of winning eight games down there, it sounds like. Uh, my numbers give that about an 11% chance of happening. So I'm a bit more skeptical on South Carolina than maybe their fans are. But as you alluded to, I think a lot of that excitement's coming around Spencer, Spencer Rattler and some of the other transfers that they have coming in. So 
I try to account for that the best I can with the transfer portal um, being so much, um, it's so much more common to have usage of the transfer portal now and rosters are being built a little bit differently in 2022 than they were even three or four years ago. So this, this age of the transformation portal and NIL, it's, it's still pretty new and my model is still trying to kind of calibrate and, and really land on the best way to account for these, these players, these student athletes that are going from one school to another. But I do, I look at the production that they had um, at their previous school and then I apply that to their landing spot at their new institution. And then I really try to, the best I can, approximate any differences in competition level. So for someone like Spencer Rattler, who's coming from a Power 5 conference, a Power 5 school at Oklahoma to South Carolina, maybe we don't need to make quite as much of an adjustment as we would as somebody who's making a transfer from either a G5 program or an FCS program up to a power five level. So there's definitely a little bit of art involved in this science of the predictive power ratings. Um, to be honest with you, I'm much more comfortable in the, uh, the science part than the art, but in order to get it as accurate as we can, we need to be uh, incorporating everything, which includes these transfers. So for the first time this year too, incorporating the, uh, transfer recruiting rankings. So the transfer portal rankings that 24 seven sports does such a great job of keeping tabs on. I've included, I've included that in my uh, recruiting rankings for my preseason numbers this year. So trying to figure out what's the right weight between your traditional recruiting rankings of student athletes coming out of high school or JUCO, and then uh, your transfer rankings for players going from one school to another uh, for the upcoming year. It's definitely proving challenging, but uh, keep me on my toes and always trying to get better at it. <laughs> Uh, well, and then y'all down the list here, you also got Missouri five and a half, seven average wins, but Hey, I think their fans will be fired up to hear you got a, a 56% chance of them winning six games, getting to a bowl game. Once again, will be, would be big for that group. But, uh, what about Missouri's non-conference? Is that factoring into there? Because, you know, it's not like they got any juggernauts in the non-conference, but I certainly see some toss up games there that, uh, I, I think they really need to win these non-conference games if they want to go to go bowling this next season. Yeah, absolutely. I would agree because I, as I look at it here, I've got Missouri at about 2.6 expected conference wins. Um, so they definitely, I mean, if you're going to go bowling again, if you get two and a half or three games there, call it three games, then you got to get at least three in the non-conference. So as we go over to their non-conference schedule, you're right. One game st stands out in particular that's at Kansas state. Um, so I've got the Tigers with about a 31% expected win probability in that game. I've got Kansas State favored by about a touchdown right now. Um, things could change, of course, as I finalize my numbers as we get closer to August and into the season. And then we'll have uh, one week of, of 2022 data to be included by the time that game rolls around in week two. But that'll be a big game. If Missouri can win that game, I really like their chances to reach six wins. If they fail to win that game, it's not the end of the world. It's just they're going to have to have to get it done in the other non-conference games, which include home to Louisiana Tech, expect a win there, 87% win probability, home to Abilene Christian. So that's an FCS program. So because of that, I assume 100% win probability. We know that's not exactly the case, but uh, would expect Missouri to beat Abilene Christian. And then uh, in the second to last game of the season, home against New Mexico State, uh, who I have right now as projected to be the worst FBS team out of the 131 that we have playing this fall. So 98% win probability there for Missouri. So um, I expect they'll win three in the non-conference. If they can sneak Kansas State, I love their chances to reach six wins. If they can't, then we got to get three wins out of the East, uh, or excuse me, out of the SEC. Um, again, playing the East, plus then their crossover games at Auburn. That's going to be really, really tough. And the other crossover is, as I'm looking at it, um, 
maybe that's it. That's just the, oh, Arkansas, home against Arkansas. There you go. So, again, a really tough game that, that uh, Missouri is going to have there to end the year. And, man, Vanderbilt, I, I feel bad for him. But, hell, your model's got 46% chance of them winning three. I mean, that would be a step in the right direction. They, sounds like they need to schedule the Lobos down there in Nashville. <laughs> yeah, Vanderbilt um... – God love them. They uh, they're definitely, according to my numbers, the worst power five team here coming into the, to the year, even significantly worse than Kansas. Uh, and when you say it like that, it really puts it in perspective. Yeah, I, I mean, I'll say it like this. Vanderbilt, they start the year at Hawaii. I've got that as a 50 50 game. I mean, when you're when you're an SEC team and you're going to Hawaii and it's 50 50, I think that tells you really everything you need to know um, about the state of your program. But yeah, between between that and then Elon, again, I'm assuming 100% win probability, which probably isn't quite accurate, but would expect Vanderbilt to win that game. Wake Forest is going to be a really tough one. Uh, at Northern Illinois, I'm going to have the Huskies favored in that one against the Commodores. And then once you get into conference play, um, not pretty. The best chance that I give uh, Vanderbilt to pick up a conference win, 15% when they host South Carolina uh, in the second half of the season. I've got the Gamecocks favored by about 15 right now uh, when they travel to Nashville. Uh, so not looking good for Vanderbilt, but they might be able to sneak out a win or two in conference play and uh, hope all the best for the Commodores there. Yeah, no doubt. All right, we're jumping back to the SEC West. This is pretty fascinating, Kelly. You got Ole Miss and A&M with, uh, as you mentioned, 7.9 average wins realistic expectations is that more of a factor of uh you know old miss catches uh kentucky and vanderbilt as uh you know their opposite opponents where whereas a&m's getting florida they got played miami i mean the, the the schedule i would i would assume most people think a&m's a better roster right now but it looks like old miss's path may be a little bit better is, is that the same as is what your model suggests yeah, that's absolutely right there, Mike. So in terms of the predictive um, expe expectations of these teams, Texas A&M, we're looking at a, a top 10 quality level football team, whereas Ole Miss, top 20. So still a really, really good football team. But Texas A&M definitely expected to be better this year. And then you hit it. It's just the schedule. Um, really, really tough schedule for Texas A&M. Not that Ole Miss has an easy schedule. You can't have an easy schedule in the SEC West, of course, but Texas A&M's really got a tough schedule. Uh, if we look at just the conference portion of the season, I do have Texas A&M expected to win 4.4 conference games, Ole Miss 4.2. So that's second and third best, respectively, in the West behind Alabama, way out there at 7.1. Um, but yeah, I would say Texas A&M expected to be a better team, tougher schedule though, which is why as you get to the, as you alluded to, expected wins, they're both sitting there at about 7.9 uh, this season. Now this one, I mean, I almost fell out my chair, Kelly. Auburn, 7.1. Everybody's down on the Tigers except for K Ford ratings. And I also saw you put out Auburn literally has the toughest path in the country to go 12 and 0. So can you kind of uh, help me understand why it's the toughest, toughest path yet, according to your model, it looks like Auburn may have a better season than uh, many are expecting. Yeah. So Auburn's an interesting team, right? Um, I've got them as a top 15 team, predictively speaking, coming into the year. Now my numbers don't necessarily account for all the, uh, off-season drama that they had around Brian Harson and, and all the other things that were going on down there at Auburn. Um, so while my model doesn't necessarily see those things, take that for what it is, in terms of what this team has coming back, how they've recruited, um, and, and just the success that they've had recently, this, this is going to be a good football team this fall, I think. The problem is for the Tigers, as you laid out, it is, by my numbers, the toughest schedule in all of college football, a 0.1% chance 
that the average top 25 team would go undefeated against Auburn's schedule this year. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's ridiculously hard. So Auburn has the toughest schedule when you look at it through the prism of how hard is it to win all 12 of your regular season games? How hard is it to just go 10 and two Auburn again, number one in the country, 9% chance the average top 25 team would go 10 and two against that tiger schedule. If you look at nine games, eight games, still number one, only a 56% chance that the average top 25 team would win eight games against Auburn's schedule. So the fact that I'm projecting for them, as you mentioned, 7.1 with a 68% chance to reach seven wins, 40% chance to reach eight wins. I think if Auburn goes eight and four this year, Brian Harson should be celebrated. Everyone should be thrilled on the planes. If Auburn wins nine games this year, Mike, you got to put Harson in the conversation for SEC coach of the year. And I, I know you're going to have Kirby. You're going to have Nick Saban who are, either looking undefeated or one loss probably at most. Um, but if Auburn wins nine games against this schedule, I mean, let's just, if we just look at it really quickly here, I'll, I'll pull it up on my screen. I've got, so you, you start with Mercer FCS team. I'm expecting hundred percent win probability San Jose state at home. Again, 95% win probability. Once you get through that though, you've got Penn state at home. That's a toss up game. 55% win probability by my numbers. I got them favored by about 1.5 right now over the Nittany lions. Then you get into sec play with, um, what's arguably going to be your easiest SEC game. Potentially you've got Missouri there, uh, 82% win probability. Um, LSU at home is not going to be a cupcake 62% at Georgia. That's just brutal. Uh, at Ole Miss, another tough game, probably a toss up. My numbers like the rebels by about two at home when they host Auburn at this point, home to Arkansas, 66% at Mississippi state total toss up, uh, got got uh, Mississippi state favored by one home to Texas A&M. I do like Auburn in that game by about a point right now. Now let's see though, because if things have gotten off the rails for Auburn and they're not having a great year and Texas A&M's rolling, things could look different come that part of the season. Western Kentucky, you'd expect uh, the Tigers to win that one. And then you close at Alabama, only a 10% chance to win that one. Auburn's got to go to Georgia and to Alabama. I mean, that's not many teams <laughs> have to do that this year. And those that do, uh, it's just, it's ridiculous. It's tough, but uh, that's just the life of being an Auburn Tiger fan. I saw Brian Fermo put something out and I, I, I retweeted it today. It said over the, since 2007, which is when Brian started his FEI or, or started publishing his FEI ratings, um, Auburn, like 35% of all of Auburn's games have been played against top 15 competition, which essentially means that on average, Auburn plays four teams every single year that are top 15 level competition by FEI, which is a very, very good predictive power rating. So this isn't new to Auburn fans, but um, just to kind of realize that and have it say it out loud after it's been written down, really, really tough schedule. Probably the toughest stretch for Auburn in all of this. Um, when they host LSU on October 1st, they go to Georgia on the 8th, they go to Ole Miss on the 15th there's only a 5.6% chance that the average top 25 team would make it through those three games unbeaten. I mean, right there, that sums it up for Auburn fans. It's just, it's a tough schedule year over year. They're used to it. And uh, it's a tough job uh, down there at Auburn. Yeah. You got me a little triggered there, Kelly, when you say Brian Harson, coach of the year, because I, that's what I said after they beat Arkansas last year, they were looking pretty, they controlled their destiny in the West and then they lost every damn game the rest of the way. And that, that bastard old old takes exposed he retweeted my old tweet so <laughs> triggered me a little bit there but moving on uh, miss mississippi state hey they're often overlooked those fans believe me i hear from it hear from them all the time 
why is everybody disrespect Mississippi State? Well, your numbers don't. Analytics, they love Mike Leach. He's he's a walking upset, as my buddy Dave Bartu likes to call him. 6.8 average wins, according to your model. And they have an 83% chance of getting a 6, 59% chance of getting a 7. So uh, what's your thoughts on Mississippi State year three under Mike Leach? Yeah, I think they're a program moving in the right direction, and they're bringing back a lot of production this year. Top 20 in my preliminary uh, returning production numbers. Bill Connolly is the best at returning production uh, with, with SP+. Um, I have I study his work. I study what he goes into his numbers. I have my own uh, tweak on returning production, so uh, don't use the exact same weights that he uses, but it's pretty similar. He's also gotten Mississippi State way up there in returning production, so there's reasons to be optimistic about uh, Mississippi State this year. They are bringing a lot back. I've got them, as I look um, at my preseason numbers, I've got them in the, as a top 25 team, which in any other conference – you could get really, really excited about in the SEC that puts you about middle of the table, maybe maybe even the bottom half of the table in the SEC. So um, that's just how tough it is to win in the SEC, to play in the SEC, especially in the SEC West. But yeah, there's a lot coming back for this team. Um, I expect them to be really good. They've got, again, a really tough schedule. I, I mentioned Auburn's toughest three-game stretch. Mississippi State actually has three of the toughest eight three game stretches in all of college football. And there is some overlap on these, but if you look at any individual three game stretch, they've got three in the top eight at Alabama, then they have a buy home to Auburn, home to Georgia, 2.2% chance. The average top 25 team goes undefeated in those games. Then you look at at Kentucky at Alabama, Auburn, 4.6% uh, chance. The average top 25 team goes undefeated. Then you've got Arkansas at Kentucky at Alabama, 5.1%. It's just a brutal schedule, as you can say, for any team in the SAC West. But um, I do expect them to, to have some success this year, maybe pull an upset or two under Mike Leach, as we talked about. I've got Mississippi State um, with a uh, 3.1 expected win total in the conference. So they're clearly uh, the bottom team in the SEC West. And again, they're a top 25 team overall. So uh, it's just it's tough sledding over there in the West. But uh, Mississippi State, I, I think it's a program on the rise. Now, you referenced uh, Bill Connolly's returning production rankings. I believe Mississippi State leads the SEC. Do they do they lead it in your uh, evaluation as well? Let me check real quick here. Um, yes, they do. They are the top team in the SEC uh, in my numbers of returning production, which, again, that's not the end-all, be-all, because if you don't have a great team last year and you bring them all back, that's not that's not something to get too excited about. Mississippi State, pretty good team last year, bringing a lot of it back. That is something to get excited about. And then you look at teams like Georgia, who loses a lot off of last year's team, So, which was a phenomenal team, obviously the national champions, one of the best teams in my database going back to the beginning of college football in terms of power ratings. They lost a lot, so their returning production numbers don't look very good. But I'm not suggesting that Georgia's going to drop off or anything. They've got supplemented really well with recruiting, and it's just next man up there. But, yes, Mississippi State, to answer your question, number one in the SEC in terms of my uh, returning production calculation, which bodes well for a team that was pretty decent last year and, like I said, uh, moving in the right direction, I'd say. Now, LSU, that's another that's a tough team to predict because so much roster turnover. They bring, they bring in an elite coach, uh, but you're – Realistic expectations, 6.7 wins for them, LSU Tigers. And, Kelly, you tweeted also something I wanted to ask you. It's interesting. LSU, the toughest road to six wins and bowl eligibility. Can you explain that for me? Yeah, absolutely. So I was referencing earlier how Auburn has the toughest schedule in the entire country to win 12 games, 10 games, 8 games. 
Well, the only number that I, the only threshold that I ran the numbers on that Auburn did not end up number one in the toughest schedule was this six wins, this bowl eligibility threshold, and that's LSU. So as you look at LSU's schedule, there is a 94% chance that the average top 25 team would win six games, at least six games against LSU schedule. So to put it the other way, there is a 6% chance, which doesn't sound like a lot, but in the world of these kind of probabilities, that's pretty significant. A 6% chance that the average top 25 team. So, I mean, if I go to my, my average top 25 teams right now, you're talking about teams like uh, Utah, Wisconsin, Auburn, Miami, Tennessee. So really good teams. There's a 6% chance that those teams, given LSU's schedule, would fail to reach bowl eligibility this year. I mean, that just goes to show you there's a lot of really hard games on LSU's schedule. Um, my numbers do not account for coaching changes. We talked about that with Harson. Now, that wasn't a coaching change. There were Obviously, he's still there, but there was the rumor that he might be gone. Um, LSU, of course, brings in Chip, Chip, uh, Excuse me, Brian Kelly. Um, I think Brian Kelly's a really good coach. I think he took Notre Dame to places that the Notre Dame fan base should be extremely excited about where they were. I know they never, they didn't win a national championship. I know they didn't win a college football playoff game, but he played for a national championship in the BCS era. He made two more playoffs in the college football playoff era. Um, Brian Kelly did wonderful things at Notre Dame. I expect he'll be able to do similar uh, things and achieve similar success down at LSU. I'm just not sure it's going to be here in year one because of just where that program is right now. And then the schedule that they face this year, which as we talked about, the most difficult in the entire country with regard to winning at least six games. Now, last team here in the West, Arkansas, 6.5 average wins. You got them a 90% chance of winning five games, 74% chance of winning six. I bet you've been hearing it from them hogs, Kelly. Explain yourself on this one. <laughs> yeah, our, our Arkansas is interesting, right? I mean, Sam Pittman there is just a great I, – I, I love Josh Pate. I'm a late kick Josh. I, I watch his show every twice a week, every week, um, listen to the podcast. He's a huge fan of Arkansas, Sam Pittman. He always talks about the culture fit, and Sam Pittman's made for Arkansas. Arkansas is made for Sam Pittman. And I, I agree with him. Um, I think Arkansas is going to be a really good team this year. I've got them, as we look at it here – I've got them as a top 30 team, but again, similarly to when we're talking about Mississippi state top 25 team, a top 30 team in the sec is below average. So I, I've got Arkansas right now as the 11th best team projected to be the 11th best team in the sec. So it's not that I don't think Arkansas is going to be good. I do. Um, it's just, again, they've got a really tough schedule when you're playing Cincinnati in the non-conference. Now Cincinnati is not going to be as good this year as they were last year, but they're still the best group of five team out there, according to my numbers coming into this year. Um, then you've got Missouri state. You expect them to win that game at BYU. That's not going to be an easy game. Uh, I got that actually right now as a 50, 50 toss up going out to Provo and playing BYU. Um, and then you've got Liberty again. I, I expect Arkansas to win that game, but then once you get within the conference, as I go to the expected conference wins, Arkansas 3.6. So again, that's uh fifth best, fourth best, excuse me. Uh, no fifth it's fifth best in the sec West. Um, I've got it about a 50% chance that they win four, four games in the conference. So um, I expect they're going to be a good team. I love everything about what Arkansas has got going on. I think, again, they're trending in the right direction. But when everyone else in the SEC, especially the West, is trending in the right direction and really good too, there's only so many conference wins to go around in the SEC. Every game you got one win and one, one winner, one loser. 
how many times can Arkansas end up on the right side of that and toss up games this year is going to define that season. So I'm excited for the future of Arkansas. It's just, uh, it's really tough in the SEC West. I, I think you're sensing a theme here, Mike, and what I'm saying about <laughs> the, the toughness, the difficulty of the SEC and in particular the West. I know this isn't breaking news to you, but um, objectively speaking, it's absolutely the facts. And it's only going to get worse when old Texas and Oklahoma come to town. You know what? Goodness gracious. And and I know that we're, we're, they're talking down there about not doing uh, divisions, which is absolutely the right move, in my opinion. They've got the two different models about pods, whether it's the three plus six or the one plus seven. Um, but yeah, throw in two more blue blood programs with great history, tradition. Oklahoma has been on fire for the last decade. I know Texas um, hasn't quite been up to the standard that they want to be, but they continue to rec recruit at a high level. They got Sark in there now, changing the culture, I think. Um, yeah, you throw Oklahoma and Texas in there. Uh, it, it's already a gauntlet. It's going to be something we've never seen before when they get there. And Mike, I do have to say, um, so I'm from Indianapolis. I live in, I live in the Midwest. I've, I'm from the Midwest, been here my whole life. Um, bit part of Big Ten country, which I, I know SEC fans sometimes stick their nose up at. But um, as a neutral college football fan, it's great for the SEC. I'm thrilled for the SEC. I think it's going to be fantastic for you all within that conference. As a neutral fan, I, I can't lie. When the news broke, um, I was disappointed because it's, it's just tough when you see so much talent all congregated into one specific conference. And um, it, it is what it is. The money is undeniable. It's an opportunity for those two programs to join uh, what is undoubtedly the best conference in the country in terms of football excellence. So I understand all the reasons. I'm a traditionalist. It's a bummer for me to see. I mean, shoot, I, I yearn for the days when Texas A&M was still in the Big 12, too. But those are long <laughs> gone and we're not going back. So I just I wanted for the record to say I wasn't thrilled, but I absolutely understand why. And I'm and I think that uh, the SEC moving forward, it's just going to be ridiculously tough for anybody um, to do to do great down there because they're going to be such great teams. Yeah, I, I actually agree with you, Kelly. But hey, this is an SEC show, so it's good for my business. <laughs> so, hey, it is what it is. But hey, last thing real quick, you know, you hammered home the point is it's tough as hell in this conference. It's always going to be that way. But when they do away with divisions and they, you know, Arkansas, Mississippi State, Ole Miss, they get to play more teams in the East. Is that going to make it easier, do you think, because it's going to kind of balance it out for everybody? What's your thoughts on that? Absolutely. I mean, you hit the nail on their head there, Mike. Teams that will benefit the most from deconstructing the divisions, from going away from divisions, are the team in the teams that are traditionally in the bottom half of the SEC West. The SEC West is the toughest division in college football, followed by the Big Ten East. Um, and you can have debates about, well, if you only look at the top three or four teams, it's a little bit closer in that regard. But top to bottom, the SEC West is the best division in college football. When they move away from divisions, those teams you just mentioned, I mean, really everybody in the SEC West, and that includes the likes of Alabama, AM, Auburn, LSU, everybody is going to benefit from that because you're going to be playing more teams from the East who have traditionally, historically, since the, the SEC expanded to 12, so you're talking Vanderbilt, Missouri. I know they had some success early on. Uh, South Carolina, Kentucky, Tennessee as of late, but I think the, the program's trending in the right direction there too. You're playing more of those teams and less of AM, Auburn, LSU. So absolutely without question um, when they move away from divisions. I'm hoping they go to the, the three plus six model because it preserves more of the traditional rivalries than the one plus seven would. Um, but that's just me personally. When they move away from it, 
everybody in the SEC West, especially those teams that finish uh, in the bottom on an annual basis, are going to benefit the most. All right, Kelly, I've taken up enough of your time. I, I truly appreciate just this outstanding insight, unique insight that you can get at K Ford Ratings www.kfordratings.com don't forget to check out the podcast we hate your team podcast kelly ford assistant commissioner of the horizon league thank you thank you thank you so much i, I really do appreciate your time thanks mike this has been awesome uh really enjoyed it and uh, appreciate you so looking forward to seeing how it all plays out this year in the sec all right so just want to say thanks again kelly for joining the show really really appreciate it that long conversation i hope you guys enjoyed it as much as i did and again anytime i can bring you quality insight into the sec unique insight as you can tell i love talking to these analytics guys because they're a hell of a lot smarter than me and they've got <laughs> insights into the game that uh, just above my pay grade so to speak so again cannot thank kelly enough for joining the show gonna have to have him back at some point and don't forget on the next two episodes my buddy steven lazen we're set to sit down for an in-person, in-studio SEC Athlon Sports preview show. Two shows here, back-to-back -back days on Wednesday and Thursday. So it's going to be a great week on the show. Go back if you missed it. Monday show, Shane and I breaking down our SEC breakout players. But that is going to do it for this episode of the show. And as always, if you made it this far... If you wouldn't mind just going that step further, giving us that five-star written review on the Apple Podcast app or give us a five stars on Spotify, you can do that now if you're not an Apple user. And don't forget to subscribe to the YouTube channel. All our content goes up on YouTube in a video format. All those things really, really do help the show grow. But that's going to do it for this episode of the show. We'll catch you on the next one.